I was in a new town with no friends and no family. I got to the point where I was driving somewhere and I said out loud in my car even, there is no God. This is so miserable. There's no way there's a God. I moved to Carroll about eight years ago. I was engaged at the time, and eventually that engagement was broken. I was raised Christian, and then some situations in my life kind of led me away from God for a while. That was the time where I felt really hopeless. And I didn't want to be around people. I felt like I was going to be going to work, coming home, and that was my life. At one point, I went to a counselor, and one of the things we discussed was that you need people in your life, and, and I fought with him and said, no, you don't. You know, I'm fine sitting in my house by myself. I don't need anybody. One Saturday, I was sitting in the living room reading, and I had my Bible out and was reading some of these verses, and, and I just prayed and said, God, I don't know how to do this. You, you've got to come help me because I just don't know how to change things. <laughs> it was about two hours later that there was a knock on the door. The reason Carol first kind of wanted to get into going home to home was we just felt like one of our mission statements as a church was connecting people to Christ, which goes along with that Great Commission very well. So it was taking that into the community. We went to a neighborhood just south of the railroad tracks that, you know, I've driven past there before, but I really honestly didn't know anyone that lived over there. We were kind of getting done. We were kind of getting tired. We'd had a lot of people say, no, no, thank you. And I think we looked across the street and I'm like, let's do one more. I opened the door and was this couple and their four kids. They said to me, we're just going door to door meeting our neighbors and just wonder if there's anything that we can pray with you about. She kind of peeked out. She didn't even move all the way out the door or anything. So she was, I could tell she was a little intimidated. You know, I thought for a minute and, and said to them, no, I don't think so, but thank you and, you know, kindly sent them out on their way. And about 10 minutes later, you know, I started thinking, you just prayed, God, come help me, help me figure this out. And somebody came and knocked at your door. That doesn't happen. It was as if God knocked on my door and said, I heard you, I'm here. I knew that I needed to get involved with people and, and get out of my house. So I knew where I needed to go was church. I walked in and, and there was already singing. And I felt God was there immediately. You just could feel it. Like the song says, I felt heaven falling in this place. When we heard Kelly's testimony at church, I remember just thinking, wow, she really was going through a troubled time, and I was thankful that God had just placed us at the right time, at, right at her doorstep. For whatever reason, you know, she didn't accept prayer, but um, she found her way to the church, and she's even serving in church, which is amazing and awesome. I'm on the worship team. I play the bass for the worship team, and I'm in a Bible study on Wednesday nights, and uh, some of the most genuine Christian women you'll ever meet. 
you don't know what part you're going to have in someone's salvation story, whether you're going to be the one planting a seed, whether you're going to want be the one helping to grow the seed. We need just the obedience and going through with this um, out of love for God and love for our neighbors. It was it really proved God was just faithful through the whole thing. The worst they can do is say no and close the door. But even if they do say no and close the door, you don't know how that impacts them behind that closed door. Invest in others' lives for the sake of the gospel. We have the opportunity to inspire by living out the gospel in front of them that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And we have the privilege of inviting them to Jesus. You don't know what's going on behind the doors in your neighborhood. But who's going to reach out? Who's going to take the intentional uh, opportunity? Invest, inspire, and invite. Our theme verse for this uh, short series uh, is from Luke chapter 14, verse 23. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You have people all around your neighborhood, wherever you live, whether apartment complex, a dorm, a house, an Airbnb, you live in a hotel, there are people all around desperate for relationship, and ultimately desperate for God. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a familiar story uh, with the woman at the well and Jesus uh, there in Samaria. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, pick up a pew rack Bible, and you can turn to page 835. I want to dive right in to this passage And in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And I love that phrase, he had to. Jewish people didn't typically pass through Samaria. They passed around Samaria. They took, uh, in Atlanta, I would say they took 285 to avoid the traffic downtown. He had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. And near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Verse 6 says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting besides the well. It was about the sixth hour. We jump into the story to find out that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He, there was somebody with an intentionality there that needed the gospel. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew he, who he was going to speak to. And, uh, and I just paused to think, who is it that we need to go maybe out of our way or place we typically might avoid, but we need to go right to it because Jesus has somebody there uh, waiting to hear the gospel. So around noontime, the heat of the day, and Jesus goes to the well, a community hangout, if you will. Everybody had to go to the well if they were going to have water in that community, but it was the heat of the day, so therefore there wasn't anybody else there. You typically get your more, uh, water in the morning, perhaps go back in the evening uh, when it's a little cooler. But he's sitting there, and he's waiting for his, the divine appointment. And you'll see in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Verse 8, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked me or asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaria, just in case you were wondering. And then Jesus said these powerful words. He answered, If you knew. I just want to pause there for a second. Let the three words right there just kind of be a weight on our spirit. If you knew. And that's the heartbeat, I think, of this whole passage. If she knew, he wouldn't have to go there. If she knew the, the, the weight of the love of God and, and the gospel that would save her through Jesus, there wouldn't need to be this kind of conversation. There are people all around us every day that do not know. If you knew. I know that you, you've heard, but if you knew. Oh, I, I know perhaps you've been to a church service or you've been to a funeral service or you've been to a wedding and something about God was brought up. I, I know that it's been around you, but if you knew. If you knew the gift of God. There are Billions of people who do not know. Why did Jesus go to Samaria? Because she did not know. Why did the people in the video go knocking on doors to share the gospel or just want to pray with people? Because they don't know. Why is it that I want to focus on this right now? Because there are people lacking a full understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is still doing in the lives of people. If you knew. It says if you knew the gift of God. And who it is saying to you give me a drink. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. People don't know. If they did. Uh, it would be an entirely different conversation but people don't know. And this is a powerful statement. What are we going to do with what we do know for those who don't know? Well, she still doesn't understand. And so verse 11 says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I mean, she hasn't really caught on yet. He's like, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd be asking me and I'd give you something that would satisfy you for eternity. But you don't know. She's trying to catch on, but it's, there's some barriers in her mind. And, and there are times when we share the gospel, we share about Jesus and they still don't get it. And that's okay. Don't give up. God has to open the hearts and the minds of people. But you need to open your mouth and invite them to him. She hasn't caught on. Her eyes have not been opened. She's heard intellectually, but her heart hasn't grasped the truth and the power of what's going on. And to be quite honest, I, uh, there's not much difference between many in this room and most in our community from the woman at the well. We've heard with our ears, but we keep asking all the wrong questions. God 
offers us living water. He quenches our thirst. And we have other questions that have nothing to do with that to distract us. Jesus said some powerful things through his life and his death and his resurrection and our response too often, even within the church, is okay. Great. So what? We've checked the box. We kind of understand intellectually that, but okay, what's, what's next? You know, so he gave himself up for me. So it is finished. So I'm valuable to God. So what? And she's kind of in this position right here. And I want you to see where Jesus kind of helps this woman out a little further. He, he says to her in verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman then said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He's inviting her to some living water. He's inviting her to himself. It's a fascinating situation. Could you imagine, by the way, having this conversation with the Son of God? You're just going about your day's business. You're just kind of, you know, uh, going, I'm going to get my water. I'm going to get my groceries. I'm going to go just do our thing. Some, uh, some stranger comes up and begins to talk to you in this way and, and, and providing something even greater. And you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> what is he talking about? And then he promises something that seems almost too good to be true. You mean, I, I won't have to come to this well anymore? I won't have to, to embarrass myself when I come to public? There's a reason why she came in the middle of the day when nobody else was there? You mean, I, I, I could like, go back to my privacy and have all my needs met, but not have to be exposed before the community anymore? I want that. I mean, Jesus is inviting her to the living water, and she finally says, give it to me. I want it. I, I, sign me up. And you would think at this point, Jesus would say, great, all right, let's just pray. And that's not what takes place here. I want you to notice in verse 16, right on the edge of, of, of you know, you're going to have a, a, an invitation. She's going, to, she's going to accept Christ and we're going to have a celebration party. She says, give it to me. He says to her in verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. <laughs> what? Are you sitting there thinking... All right, Jesus, I see what you're doing. You're going to Samaria. You're going to talk to a woman who's coming in the middle of the day. Obviously, she needs Jesus. You know, there's not a lot good in her life. And, and, and you finally got her to the point where she's going to say yes. And then you change the subject? Why in the world, when somebody is willing to say, okay, I'll pray your prayer. I'll, I'll say, you know, whatever you want me to say. You know, why in the world would he change subjects? It's because she has to understand not only what she is wanting in her life, but what she has to turn away from that is not satisfying her right now. She has to come to an acknowledgement that God is not something to just add to her life, but it's something to replace everything else that is insufficient and will always lead her to thirst. I want you to see, she's saying, I'm ready. And he says, go call your husband. Perhaps she's thinking, pardon me? <laughs> but then she says in verse 17, and you could just imagine her countenance dropping, I have no husband. Well, Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now 
is not your husband. What you have said is true. He knew her heart. He knew her situation. This was not to shame her, but in order to truly turn it all over to God, there has to be an acknowledgement of where you are so you know what God is doing for you and in you. Jesus masterfully invites her to the living water, but then he reveals the inadequacy of the other well that she had been dipping her bucket into that wasn't satisfying. If I had a better pail, I would have used that, but I found this downstairs, and so I'm going to use my, my Lowe's bucket today. Uh, do it right. I'll just advertise for them right now. Five-gallon bucket. That's a lot of water. That'd be heavy if it was full. But imagine this lady walking up. She's just going about her day. I'm going to go get some water, probably head down, and she gets up to the well, and some guy's there, and he starts talking to her. And he wants, you know... Uh, you know, drink and she, uh, you know, and then living water. What is all this about? And but here, here's what she came with a, her her bucket for water. Going to lower it down, and he is telling her, "There's some water that you don't know about." But let me just talk about what bucket uh, or what well you've been dipping a bucket into. Five husbands, and you're now with a guy that's not your husband. You know what you've been dipping your bucket into to satisfy your soul is the well of relationships. I mean, it's very clear here that her primary need was love and acceptance. Her, her primary need was, will somebody love me? Will somebody stay with me? Will somebody, you know, be stable with me? Will somebody just love me past my inadequacies? Will somebody accept me for who I am, even though I'm not perfect, but I just want to be loved? And I'll try this husband. Well, it didn't work out. I'll, I'll go to another husband. I'll go to someone else. And, and, and she's not a lady of means. If she was a lady of means and just going, well, I'll just throw them away once in a while. She wouldn't be getting her own water. She was a woman just begging for someone to love her. And so she would walk up to that well of relationships and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, well, maybe this time I'll be satisfied. You know, there's some people in this room who are like that. And you see it on college campuses a whole lot, and even some high schools. Oh, I just want a relationship. If I just had a relationship, like every, a ring by spring, I'll be satisfied. And, and you fill it up into a, you know, the, the water, and you've got this relationship, and you're splashing all over. Oh, this feels so good. I'm so in love. And then what happens? It, it falls over and splashes out, and you're like, well, that didn't work out so well. Anybody know somebody in that situation? Don't look at them, but just. <laughs> and what happens? You pick up your bucket, it's empty, and so, well, I'll just, I'll just keep looking around for a better relationship. Whether it's a romantic relationship or a friend relationship, we just keep going. The next person will fill me so much that I'll always be satisfied. And we require of other people what they ultimately can't do for us. If we're not filled with the love of God, we'll never be completely filled by the love of another person. We suck the life out of each other because we require of one another more than we can give. We all come empty. It's like two ticks without a dog. We suck the life out of each other. It's not the only place that we, we dip our bucket, though. Some do the, uh, the bucket of or the well of appearance. 
I need to look right. I, I need to, to, to be shorter. I need to be taller. I, I need to wear these clothes or look that way. I, I need my body to, to appear this way. Even if it's fake, I'll put a filter on it. I'd look better as a blonde or a brunette or a redhead. Or I think you should just all go white and get over it. I'm telling you, it is far better. I started embracing this at 18 and I'll just live with it. My kids do not remember a time when I had dark hair. But if, if I just looked right, I don't remember how many years ago it was. I was reading an article, maybe it was a decade ago, and a woman who, who has the most plastic surgeries of anybody in the world was having her, like, 200th surgery. The first one wasn't good enough. The second one didn't fill her. Oh, if I just did this one more procedure, I'll be so good. Oh, there's always something lacking. If you dip your bucket into the well of appearance, you will be thirsty again. Some dip their, their bucket into the well of performance. Maybe it's not about relationships for you. Some of you say, I haven't had a relationship so long, I don't even know what it one was like. You know? But man, my GPA is important to me, and if I'm not a 4.0, then I'm nobody. Or, or maybe it's the job performance. Oh, I, I, I don't like anybody at my workplace, I don't care if I get along with them, but boy, I'm going to be the best there is. And thinking, if I just perform so well, that will fill me and satisfy me. There will be a team this year that, that wins the NCAA basketball tournament, yes? There will be a, a football team that will win the Super Bowl. And the day after the Super Bowl, they will be thirsty again. After every performance, there is a letdown. There's a trophy, but the trophies collect dust. There's the rays, but then well, what, what will be next? Sometimes it's the well of relationship. Sometimes it's the well of appearance. Sometimes it's the well of performance. Sometimes it's the well of possessions. If I just get one more item, I'll be satisfied. If I buy one more thing off Amazon, if, if I go to Mardell and just buy one more trinket, if, if I can go to Walmart and just find something that will satisfy me, let's confess how many of you have been there. I'll buy, this is going to make our kitchen perfect. This is going to make our bedroom wonderful. I'm going to put this in the bathroom and I'll be satisfied for life. Some of the husbands going, yep, mm -hmm, that's it. <laughs> Possessions, financial stuff. I mean, remember VeggieTales, they had Stuff Mart. This is what I see here, and, and there's so many other things. Jesus is saying if you're looking for anything other than him to fill you at your point of need, you will always be thirsty again. And I look around our community, and sometimes even in the lives of here, and I see you know, there's so much weight that you're carrying because you're carrying a big bucket and rather than just sitting and soaking in Jesus, you're trying to put it in something else that will satisfy and you're not satisfied. So who's going to introduce and invite people to Jesus that will fill you completely? It was years ago when um, late at night, you know, weird television used to go on. This is before you had cable and, and on demand and all that. So, you know, way back in the, in the day. 
you know, you can't sleep at night, so you flip it on, and there's even an infomercial of some sort. Or there was Big Bob's Autorama having a competition. Big Bob's Autorama, it was a place out in Oklahoma. Fields, acres and acres of automobiles, brand new parking lot, you know, just huge, had everything under the sun on this, uh, on this, on this huge, you know, like, I don't know how many acres of cars there were. And they had about 12 different people that were going to be in a competition. When Big Bob shot the, the, the gun off, these 12 people were given a key and they were to go throughout all those cars and if they could find where the key fit, which car it fit to, they got to keep the car for free. You think, this is exciting. And I like competition. So what do you do? You just pull up a chair and go, i got to watch this. You know, this is going to be amazing. You know, 12 people going crazy. I mean, they had a grandma on there. They had like an 18-year-old guy. They had everybody in between. And, and, and man, uh, everybody's watching. And they've got uh, the, the, the uh, uh, before, before drone days, I guess they just had helicopters flying around on the top. So you got the overview. And, and all of a sudden, boom, they started going. And people are running around. I mean, they're putting a little, you know, little Honda. They're putting a Ford. They're putting a Chevy. I would run right to the Corvette because that's where it's going to be. I just know it. But these people were putting it in there, and it wasn't fitting, and it was going around, and, and they only had like 10 minutes, and they're going crazy. How many of you would love to be a part of that kind of competition? I mean, it'd be a lot of fun. Well, here's the thing. I mean, they're running, and I'm thinking, you know, somebody's going to get this thing, and it's going to be amazing, and, and Big Bob's just going to go, oh, you know, he's getting all this advertisement. And then just, and it, just it, it dawned on me right in the middle of it. This is actually videotape delayed. <laughs> it's already over. You know, maybe I can fast forward, but I couldn't do that. So I just had to watch the rest of it, and this is what takes place. They go, and they're, you know, countdown, you know, and then down to five, four, three, two, one, Arr! and nobody found where the key fat. There was no free cars. Big Bob was happy. Got advertisement, but didn't have to give away anything. But it was at that point, I, I, I just, it gripped me to think this. That is a picture of our world. There is hope and joy in something free out there that will satisfy you. You just got to find where the key fits. And people are running all over trying everything. And they're not finding it. And if you're a believer in Christ, you know where the key fits. Why would we watch the world go crazy and not say a word to them saying, Here, come over here. It's really simple. The key of the gospel is to your heart and it goes right to Jesus. We've got to be much more intentional about leading people to Jesus rather than finding it entertaining and competitive as they destroy their lives going in so many different directions and still unsatisfied. You know, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, all things were created through him and for him. Could be translated by him and for him. If you believe in creation at all, that, that, that part doesn't uh, uh, you know, confuse you. All things were created by God. Through the power of God, all things were created. But here's the, the second part that I think a lot of people miss. That you weren't just created by God, you were created for Him. He desperately desires a relationship with you. And apart from you, you can do nothing. Sin keeps us separated. People need to understand that God created them, but he created them for himself. He finds pleasure in having you 
close as an adopted child. When you're inviting people to Jesus, let me just throw out a few things that I know would meet people's primary needs in their life. Inviting people to Jesus is inviting people to love. The woman at the well, I just want to be loved. Inviting people to Jesus is inviting them to forgiveness. Only God himself can forgive. Inviting people to Jesus is inviting them to acceptance. He accepts them in spite of their sin. He covers their sin. He doesn't say, you clean yourself up and then we'll consider a relationship. No, he says, in your sin, I will forgive you. I will will cleanse you. I accept you. Follow me and I will make you. When you're inviting people to Jesus, you're inviting them to security. One of the most beautiful things about the relationship with Jesus, it is it's a secure relationship. It's not based on your performance. Have you ever had someone's acceptance for a season, but then their mood changes, your performance changes, something happens, and you lose that security in that relationship? Listen to me. Jesus who calls you will never turn his back on you. All that the Father gives Jesus will never be taken from him. And significance. What else is our purpose in life other than to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? People are desperate to be loved, forgiven, find acceptance where it's not based on them, but it's based on just a, a, a pure, uh, unadulterated uh, love and passion for them. Security and significance. The greatest thing we can do is to stop being proud and saying, I don't need anything and I don't need anybody, but just surrender and acknowledge that Jesus will fill us with all that we need and he'll never abandon us. Lo, I am with you always. I want you to look at verse 19 in John chapter 4. It says, the woman said to him, after hearing, you know, listen, your husbands are not going to fill you. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Oh, she's kind of catching on. Maybe this is, maybe it's a little more than, than what she originally thought. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Once again, picking up, if you knew, but you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. But the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman said, Well, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then he goes ahead and opens up the the reality. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. You're speaking to him and I'm calling you to myself. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, well, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar which I I love the picture of that. She left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, the people she was avoiding at that moment, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? She was believing he was. They went out of the town and were coming to him. I notice in this passage that the disciples were not the ones inviting anyone to Jesus. But when she was having a face-to-face encounter with the Son of God, when she became convinced that he is the one who can actually fill her with the love, significance, and, and acceptance that she needs, that, that she is, it was a need of, of God on high, and he actually came to her and invited her to a relationship with him, she went out and invited everyone in the town to him. Verse 39 Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. I mean, I've been exposed and he still loves me. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. The word of God always transforms the hearts of people. So verse 42, they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know. If you knew, but now we've heard, we've heard your invitation, Samaritan lady. We're, we're thankful that you've invited us to Jesus. Perhaps we're kind of riding on, on your coattails of faith. But we've got to hear him ourselves. We've got to be in the presence of the word of God. And when we hear it, not only now do we believe that you believe it, we now know the gift of God. And what he desires to do in us. You notice that they're going to know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Jesus went to invite the Samaritan woman to himself. When she received that, what did she do? She goes to the town and invites them to Jesus. Oh, may God do a work in our hearts that way. If we know Jesus, how could we not tell everybody that we know? How can we not invite them? It's not your testimony that's going to change them, but it may attract them to hear the word of God that when they have a face-to-face encounter with God through his living word, they'll give their heart to Jesus. I want you to just, in just a brief way, I want to show you Jesus' method of inviting. Follow Jesus' method of inviting. He starts in verse 7 with the natural realm. A woman from Samaria came to draw water in verse 7. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Let's just talk about something natural, something we can connect with. Water's why she's there. Jesus is there for some water as well, but he had something else to say. When you're speaking to people about the gospel, don't just go up to, hey, do you know you're going to hell unless you have Jesus? Perhaps start a conversation in, in something natural, something that connects, that opens up the door of conversation. He started in the natural realm, but he quickly moved, which some of us sometimes, we're we're okay in the natural realm. We'll talk about the weather, we'll talk about jobs, we'll talk about kids, but we never move to the spiritual realm to talk about what the things that matter. So he moves to the spiritual realm. By the time he gets to verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now she didn't understand that, but there is a transition from the natural realm to the spiritual realm so that you move on to the relationship with Jesus. Somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Doing all right. Got to mow the lawn this weekend, you know, but I don't know. I'm just a little frustrated. What are you frustrated about? Oh, X, Y, and Z. Have you been praying about that? Do you mind if I pray for you about that? I have a relationship with God. And you know what? He does some things in my life just amazing. I don't deserve it, but God is doing something. And he'll do it for you. Moving from the natural to the spiritual. Now he also brought in the third step as Jesus' method of inviting. He moved to the conscience and the law. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Come here. He says, we've got to deal with what's going on in your life. 
Because the very thing that's in your life, let's do with your conscience and, and what the law says, you're trying to do this and it's never going to satisfy. Pointing out those things is not a bad thing. You're not satisfied in that, are you? God says there's something better. You've got to move to the conscience so you know you're, what you're going to move away from when you repent, when you turn your direction, when you change your mind. This is what you thought would satisfy, but ultimately this, the relationship with Jesus. And then he moves in to an invitation to himself. There has to be a point when we reveal who Jesus is. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Moving from the natural to the spiritual to let's deal with the conscience and the law. You know, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then we, we acknowledge that Jesus is the one who will save us. Two questions this morning. Have you lowered your bucket? Or have you placed your key in a relationship with Jesus? Or are you still putting your key in all kinds of other places to satisfy you're lowering your bucket into another well that just will not lead you to contentment. Second question is, who in your life needs an invitation to Jesus this Easter? Who will you invite to church? Who will you invite to a conversation? Maybe you invite them to coffee just to talk about their life, pray for them, and invite them to Jesus. If a Samaritan woman who met Jesus just moments before could go and tell everybody in the city, if you've known Jesus more than a few minutes, you should have enough confidence that God is a saving God and he will save your friend, your neighbor, your, your, your relative, if you just expose them to Jesus. We have some invitation boxes right out that door. We've got other uh, uh, tools that you can use, but the ultimate thing is you just need to get to the point where you're just going to say... Um, it's not about the shame anymore, not about the fear. The Samaritan woman came at noon because she was shamed. But when she knew Jesus, that was all gone. I'm going to talk to everybody. They need to know Jesus like Jesus knows me.